You're listening to the number one Oilers podcast, Handkerchief Dynasty. Two minutes for interference. As always, the secret professor joined by a very brave and brilliant, very talented and unique comic, Mr. Aaron Berg. Hello. Aaron. How um, are you, you? You can see his uh, his new documentary, 25 Sets, on Amazon. It's streaming right now. I just uh, finished watching it actually today, and it's fantastic. So. I recommend it enough. Uh, I'm unfortunately unjoined by my usual co-host, the High Priest of Order's Magic. He's devoted his time to a uh, seminary university. It's kind of like in the spirit of a Trump university, but uh, a version of uh, hockey religion. So he's unavailable. He's out of pocket today. Um, how are you doing, bro? I know you were at the beach today, so uh, I had to open with uh, a nice chill beach song. Nice. Uh... Remember White Avenue in Edmonton? Are you kidding me? White Avenue figures prominently in my imagination. Yeah, and it's like how awesome it used to be. And then like there was so many bad jokes about it because there was so many drunk people on that street. Uh And uh, my favorite, you're in Vancouver right now, correct? Yeah, I've been here for like almost like 15 years or something, but I grew up in Edmonton. Um. My favorite moment in Edmonton was when I went to do the Yuck Yucks and they'd moved it to a casino and there was a full-on fight between a husband and wife, like just fist fighting on the lawn out front of the casino. And it wasn't the good casino. It was like a lower down casino. Was it the one on the north side? I think I know that casino. That's heartwarming to see that kind of, you know, domesticity though. Yeah. And it's, it was really an Edmonton love story. And that to me is quintessential Edmonton. I've had (laughs) several great times in that city. Um, Oh, there used to be a yuck yucks at the London Dairy Mall. And I remember getting a blowjob from a female bodybuilder. (laughs) Don't say Uh, that. uh, London Dairy is the kind of place you could, that's the only place, place name that could exist in Western Canada. From a male bodybuilder. And he was this great bodybuilder. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I have very warm place in my heart for that, but now you're in Vancouver and that must be amazing. You must be so rich to be able to Uh, live there. I'm rich in spirit. Let's say that, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, I moved here and I remember very quickly just the air being so dewy sweet and the temperature being so much nicer that it was pretty much impossible to not feel like it was. And also I've never been a big car guy and Edmonton is such a car town. Like the car, the car car is an extension of yourself in like a cybernetic fashion in a place like Edmonton. 
Right. But Vancouver has to be one of the most beautiful cities in the entire world, hands down, because they were like, you could surf, you could ski, you could do all this stuff, be politically correct and adamant about canceling people all in the same (laughs) afternoon. There was this beautiful fervor that Vancouver had to it that any other city, nay, you would say perhaps Portland, uh, but they were all right. falling short of it. Vancouver has gone the way of extreme political correctness now, and, and you live in the hub of it. Well, what's great is we can have that. Like, we kind of have it all because we can have that. And when you drive to the downtown east side or, like, past, if you drove past Pigeon Park where there was a tent city up until a few months ago, um, like, for and I take the bus through the bad part of town, it's like, you know, as a Vancouverite, that we can be politically correct and still not give a single fuck about the people that live here. Uh what it comes down to it in terms of the people on the street. Cause like, holy shit, man, we're not, we're what? not even an American city and we have like a little mini San Francisco. You do. And you were probably the precursor to it because I think San Francisco did not have their, their heroin problem. Wasn't as widely noted. Uh, but <laughs> Pigeon Park was the North American center of where you could put heroin people. And I, I'm guessing it's gotten better because of treatment and stuff. Does it seem that way or no? Yeah, well, I mean, they have uh, like uh, they have like harm reduction sites. Um, like the amount of services in that neighborhood is actually off the charts. I think like on a per capita basis, it provides more services than any other neighborhood in Canada. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting, actually, there's a there's an epidemiologist studying it. He like for some reason, COVID has just completely not ravaged the neighborhood. And they don't really know why, because if you go there, you why as somebody that uh, precursors his sentences by saying, I'm not a scientist, but let me tell you why it's because heroin, much like nicotine, attaches itself to the same receptor cells, which COVID would want to. Uh, Now, I don't know this for a fact, and I've (laughs) totally made that up, but that's what I'm sticking with. I mean, they do say that, like, I think people that use hard drugs just end up with a million more viruses in their body. So maybe they just have like a super immunity. That's a good point. Maybe they Something got like bird that. immunity from needle use. It um, definitely, definitely brings the shine off Vancouver. You know, you're like, you look at the mountains, you're smoking a joint, you look at the mountains, you know, you look at the water, you pass by someone who's like going through the worst life anyone's ever lived. You look at the mountains, you smoke, smoke some more weed. I mean, as long as you stick to the weed, once you're breaking out the needles, you know, then you know you're in, Flavor country, as they say. There may be a turnabout where Vancouver becomes like this wild west again um, because of maybe, you know, they, they were really ahead of other Canadian provinces in terms of weed, right? I mean, they'd always been churning out the best weed in the country. Oh, and it was quasi, it was it was like, uh, what do they call it? There's like de jour and de facto. It was like de facto legal because a few years before they legalized it nationally, the Vancouver Police Department was just like, look, like we got fucking narco traffickers and triads and like all this stuff we want, we need to focus on. We're not, we don't give a shit about anyone smoking weed on the street or these like bullshit mom and pop pot shops that were kind of all over the place. There was like 15 or 20 of them. Mm-hmm. So for like two or three years, you could just openly buy weed, which was, I not that I ever did. Don't ever do drugs, kids. We've established this in the podcast. We we have uh, rules. So it's really more of an insight, I think. So yeah. It's, Doing drugs is not cool, okay? That's right. But talking about doing drugs sounds really cool, and it, and so you should just talk about doing drugs. The way but you don't do talk about it does make it sound cool and intelligent. 
Thank you. Thank you. You too. You too. Thank you. Um, Mr. Berg. Um, you know, it's, it's great funny. to be doing a hockey podcast that gets the hockey in the seventh minute. Um, that's true. That's true. Well, to be honest, we, we diverge, uh, the, uh, the style of the show, uh, you know, we have a few kind of like, you know, brand pillars, uh, we, we work towards there's, uh, there's rhizo- rhizomic. So expand in all directions. Um, there's drug addled Swiss cheese brain. Um, and then we hit on religion, little politics. Um, we talk about movies we watched as children. And then eventually by like minute, let's say 55, we'll go into like, you know, who's on the fourth line right now or who's, who's looking on the free agent market. I mean, it's brutal because we recorded probably 20, 25 shows over the course of, uh, COVID pausing the, uh, the season. So we got really, we got pretty good about talking about nothing, to be honest. And it's the same thing across the, the media landscape. You tune into a sports radio show, bro. They're rating different sandwiches. That's what they're doing right now. Do you want to go do that? Neither do I. Is that what TSN does now? Is the esports network in Canada? Pretty much. Uh, they also do this thing where they bring on, there's some, some people who have a, you know, a, a nice little uh, craft beer store where they'll bring a new beer on and then they'll drink it on mic. And I, I don't know who thinks someone drinking a beer over a microphone makes for good radio. But uh, that person would not be me. I think a lot of bad radio people work in radio, so that may be the explanation for that. Well, my Anyways. A lot of media. Um, so are you a Leafs fan? You're from Toronto. You're, I am. You're uh, our favorite son of Toronto who has outgrown it, and you're the most Canadian-American, as uh, Judah Friedlander said, oh, which I agree. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm um, actually a dual citizen as well, so I can tell, too. Wow. Well, where did you live when you lived in the United States? I've lived mostly like in, um, I've, I've spent some time in the Western US. Um, you know, I know places uh, like the East, the West Coast, and then the next row in, row two of states. Yeah. What is that? Montana, Idaho, Utah, Nevada. You There's, lived in all these places. Well, I've, I've, I lived in a couple of them for short periods of time and then visited them. The other, I think, I think of, of all of them, I think Oregon is probably the most beautiful, but I never spent really time, any time in Portland. I just passed through. Wow. I'm kind of like, you ever see that show, The Littlest Hobo? Yes. That show, they actually, so I wrote the pilot script of that. I mean, I must have been about six at the time, but I was a prodigy. And I said, what we need to do, what we need to do is in the pilot. Well, you write, I said, we need to write a show where a dog helps a guy get off a bum murder rap. Okay. And, then we, and that the was the basis go? of the pilot. How'd the theme song go? Make me miss Canada. Ooh, there's a place keeps on calling me down the road. So where I'll always be. I've sampled it at least twice in the last yeah. 10 episodes of the show. Um, Keep it, going. It's Get impossible. to the hook. I need every, to hear the hook. Every stop I make, I make a new friend. I don't know the lyrics past this point in the song. Maybe tomorrow I'll try and settle down. That's the hook, right? Tomorrow I'll just keep moving on. Yeah, yeah. But I I highly recommend it. That was such a good show. It was, I'm telling you, in the pilot episode, which I wrote, which I wrote, it starts off with this guy being chased by like some cops slash an angry mob, and these guys want to kill him with their guns. They're going to kill him with their guns. They're shooting at him. And the dog is helping him escape. And then by the end of the 23-minute the episode, we find out what, all what happened. And, you know, 
the littlest hobo saves this guy's life. It's awesome stuff. I it's pretty dark. I hate though. to do this, but because you brought this up, I am now texting my uh, Daily Show partner uh, and saying Aaron, we must show Aaron the Berg, littlest uh, hobo tomorrow. It's called In Hot Water, and it's in on Hot Water, Media yeah. Monday to Thursday. But now I'm just saying we must show the littlest hobo tomorrow. Oh, it's incredible! It's incredible. It is so good, and I also miss the early Degrassi's when, like, uh, Wheels. Remember, Wheels is hitchhiking to try and go visit his dad in Peterborough. And he gets molested. Yeah. No, wait, does he have to jump out of the car? Right. No, he the does. The guy tries to molest him. Early, early Degrassi is some of the most real shit you will ever see put yeah. to put to screen. Like, I remember the episode where one of them has, like, an alcoholic mom or whatever, and it's just, like, in the first five minutes, you just see the, like, horribly, out, you know, like, it's not it's not a good scene. And yeah. then it's, like, the theme song kicks in, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, is this a show about high school, or is it just, like, the Wake most, up like, in the morning, feeling sad and lonely, <laughs> gee, I gotta go to school. Don't yeah. think I can make it, don't think I can take it, wonder what I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. do. Do, do, do. But it's so hard to yeah, it's hard to see. There's someone well, staring like, right at me. Hey, it's such a stark contrast. To me. Hey, I got, I got a new friend. friend. We're harmonizing now. Okay, this, this is, is nice. So this good. is nice. Yeah, I like yeah. it. I like it. Well, like, I mean, you can be the most Canadian American, but I don't know if you know this. Also, technically, that makes you um, like uh, all the Canadians are gonna thirst after you. You're like the Mike. You'll become the Michael Ignatieff type. You know. Um. It was you know, always my dream to become more <laughs> of a Mike Myers type, and then sure. I let that fall away several years ago after I stopped chasing fame. But it's there's something, there's still something great in your heart when you're from Canada, and you remember it. And although I turn my back on it often, it's always still there, and I always sometimes think about even you know if everything fell apart, where would I move back to? And I mm. think the answer would be Fredericton, New Brunswick. Nice. Good choice. Well, I mean, I, I would liken it to, you know, if you were, say, an ancient uh, Gallic comedian in the time of the Roman Empire and you had moved to Rome because that's where the best gigs were and you could uh, tell jokes to Caesar, you know, in the back of your mind, you'd still think, well, you know, maybe I'll just go back to the vineyards at some point if, like, the shit hits the fan and the fucking Carthaginians show the show up again, you know? <laughs> we have a third fucking Punic War or whatever the F. I have so, to say this. I've never what? spoken to you before tonight, and uh, I don't. It's great know to meet you, you, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you don't. Know, you don't even know what I look like. I'm. Uh, yeah. I have a, a thin swimmer's build. Yes. <laughs> I'm circumcised from the nipples up. Um, <laughs> you. Uh, you're so fun to talk to. You have this great jazzy oh. quality to you, and it's just uh, it brings out the best of your guests. I would hope. It I hope so. Well, this is the first. This is the first time it's ever actually happened. Um, wow. That's it's good. It's good to know that I just needed the first, you know, 77, 78 tries to get to this level. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great to meet you. I've actually been a huge fan of yours for a while. Like I really, um, you're the second comedian we've had on. We had Cyrus on, and I know both of you guys from Feldman. And I got to tell you, like, you know, two years ago, and I'm recycling a joke here for my listeners. If you're listening carefully, but what if I say that it makes it okay, right? Yeah. Um, you know, two years ago I would be. Um, lying in bed, crying of laughter to like you, you guys in particular were my two, what was my two favorites? Um, no one's, we're not recording this, right? No one will find out what I'm saying. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I'd be giggling my ass off. Like, I think it was you, were you the one who said what the equivalent of a Canadian Emmy was? That was your joke, right? I'm not sure. I mean, I've 
said so many jokes in my lifetime. I have no idea. What did <laughs> I say? The what? It's what like you were talking about someone, and you were like, maybe it was Breslin, but I think it might have been you. It was like, uh, oh, you know, I've won actually two Canadian Emmys, or the equivalent of uh, the Emmys in Canada, which which are hockey tickets. I don't think it was me. Maybe oh. I don't know. I say so. David Feldman show. I say so much stuff off the top of my head. Uh, you could. It'd be so hard to replicate. I have no idea what I say with him because he's one of those people that's like you that brings out the best of me. Uh, uh, and oh, his laugh. His laugh. Let's do a video chat next time. I'm here. I got a leopard, leopard print, leopard print here. Um, you know, he's amazing. Uh, he's like such a comedic hero. I've actually never really like talked to him much. I've I've sat in on the live sessions and the. You know, I have I have a job and a social life, so you know I, I do carve out the 65 hours a week to participate fully in the David Feldman Show experience. Yeah, boy, he um, really puts the length in the word podcast, doesn't he? He loves it really those does. long. It's a whole day thing with him now. When you do his show, he'll send you an email and he'll be like, "Here's the lineup for today," and you'll be like, "Jesus Christ, this is a season." Uh, and it's uh, everyone does half an hour, and he goes all day now. And he does. He had it was on YouTube Live today, uh, and he had Pete Dominic on. Yeah, yeah, Pete Dominic before me, and then I just jumped in, and Pete Dominic and I talked for half an hour with David just laughing, and it flew. He has That's this. So great. Uh, Feldman is. I don't know if you remember. He used to be famous years ago because he was on MTV, and then. Uh, I, I was riding the six train one day and I saw him on the six train and I go, oh, this is David Feldman. I was with another comic and they go, who? And I go, he used to have this thing. He's, he's really funny, but I didn't know that much about him. And then I got home and Googled him. And then sure enough, I bumped into him by happenstance at a comedy club months later. And he watched me and he's like, I do a podcast. You you have to come on it. And I said, okay. And then it uh, it just grew from there. And now we're uh, very fast phone friends. And he's his laugh is one of the best laughs in show business. And he is so funny. Oh, he's amazing. I mean, he's got an amazing laugh. He's also a great he, he kind of has a magnetic quality, he attracts good laughs. Like, I think I think he loves laughter himself and the honesty of it and the the kind of danger of it, the, the excitement of it. Um, yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, you know, he, he, I, I know now he wrote for Triumph, but I didn't know that for like years. And it's, it, but it is hilarious. I was gonna say because my per, my favorite podcast, the David Feldman Show, is like a day's worth of content per week, and then my second favorite is about ninety minutes a week. So yeah, it's. Uh, and then of course we have this one, which is about my twelfth favorite podcast at this point. Yeah, I should change and that. Our, our current tagline is the nineteenth best Edmonton Oilers podcast. Good. Um, and you don't seem like a Rogan guy. Um, I listen. No, I, I've I've dabbled. I mean, I don't. Uh, if you if you if you I, select, I if you're very selective, I, I think his politics have gone completely off the rails now. But he's also he's 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 kind of a he's very LA in the way that um, there's a even as even if you're trying as hard as you can to be honest and open and, and have integrity, there's going to be a grift element to whatever you're doing. I think to, to a certain extent somehow. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't think he's a terrible interviewer. I think he's pretty good. Um, Quite, re- quite repetitive, but I'm, I'm kind of wacky. So I love the UFO episode or, um, you know, he had uh, Bernie Sanders on. He had Cornell West on. Those were both great. He has basically like one good lefty on for every six kind of like really weird uh, righties. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird combo. 
six it is novel. but it's you know there i mean there was a saying about a year a year and a half ago where people were saying conservative conservatism is the new punk rock which it, it isn't but there that's was crazy this, whoever said that is a fucking idiot and well several people said it so you're calling several people idiots but what Sorry, i'm everyone. saying is there was this essence where initially you could have bought that argument for the first little bit it was kind of edgy to be like hey i like trump and then after that it just became so inundated because of the policies and because of what was being done in the country and because of the lackadaisical approach to um you know semantics utilized by the president i think so then it, it, it had jumped that shark. But there were a few moments when it did seem cool to hear these voices that were, although the majority of Americans may fall under that umbrella, not they weren't being heard from. Most people, uh, I think Paul Verzi has a joke where he says, you know, Trump supporters are now what gay people were in the 70s. You know, they weren't telling anybody about it. So I, I think to shed light on that type of person would be construed as edgy and would be uh, construed as revelatory for a while. But it does jump the shark after a while. And now America's at this political impasse where there's no hope no matter what happens this election. So I think uh, I think people are getting bored of it. And I'm ahead of the curve when I said this three weeks ago. All Americans need to do now is focus on themselves and their families and not give a shit about the rest of the stuff outside of the bubble because that's what's creating the division. People will find the unity by detaching. It's a weird thing. Wait, you've really followed your American citizenship test closely. Yeah, I think that's question 25. Are you uh, are you willing to only care about your family <laughs> in the bubble? Um, yeah, you know, I think the more I think about it, I feel like people, I wonder if social change and movements is so much more of a kind of wave thing where, like say for example, we have this, uh, or like, yeah, there's a point where the conservatives are the are, are too much on the outside and there's a pushback and there's a conservative movement built around that. And then it maybe goes too far, like so something like the Tea Party. They're just like, let's all just like live in hovels completely. Who, who gives a shit? Yeah, and obviously that was too far. So even that would get scaled back. And I feel like with the cancel culture, for example, on the left, um, I feel like that's obviously overstepped. And it's, it's, it's really sad to me because I studied a lot of like I totally understand all the all the jargon that these people use um on on twitter to like have you heard about the woman who was the one i heard the best podcast one of my my second favorite podcast after feldman is a podcast called champagne sharks that i'll just give a shout out to i'll just see because it was the new rachel dolezal have you seen this i saw a little thing about this woman that uh she professed to be black for years and then she just tried to cancel herself are we talking about the same woman well like someone was going to out her yeah um, and then instead of, and then, so, so as a, as a damage control measure, she published, she self-published a big article on medium or something like that, where she was just, you know, laid it all bare, but it was just, it was just word salad mixed with, uh, you know, he, here's, I'm not making any excuses, but here's an excuse if you want one, um, you know, childhood trauma or this or that. But it's, when you look at her career, she was, uh, what university, what it was, it was a real university she was at. Um, and she had claimed to have like a North African descent in her history and then it changed to Puerto Rican and Brazilian and like moved around. And it, it's like, I, I think that once, once we can get past the bullshit of the people using that as a grift, it's not as though we're going to go back to a point where people are just like, going to but like a, think that racism doesn't exist or that we don't have to solve these kinds of social issues. You know, that's not going to go away. 
once that once that wave breaks and it gets pushed back a little bit. That's my hope. You said you have no hope for the future, but my hope is at this point, Ehrenberg, and I'll tell you this, though we're 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 past the middle point now, and we're gonna we're gonna have a nice a nice soft decline. Like our culture has peaked. We're now in decline, but it's going to be a really slow, slow decline, glacial in pace. And we're just going to become better and better as our population shrinks by 30 to 40 percent. And then an asteroid will hit us and, and that'll be that. We'll be, you know, I'll see you on the astral plane, you know. How I'm long saying? do we have until that point comes? I'd give it no more than 400 years. That's, that's, that's not uh, bad. That's, yeah, I that's mean, pretty good, we right? Get, we get to live it out. I'm living a pretty good life, all things considered. We get to you live out like we, you're doing okay. We get to know what fish tastes like. I mean, you know, like yeah. nobody's going to be able to eat fish in like three years. They're going to be like, what's that? The, the band, right? They're just everyone's going to think we're talking about the band. That's a good point. Hey, do you have yeah. fish tonight? And they're like, how could you have a band? You stupid. <laughs> exactly. Uh, our, my daughter will get to live, and then maybe like a couple more generations. That doesn't sound horrible to me. Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, on a universe level, I mean, 400 years, maybe we could get, if we could get Christopher Nolan together, uh, maybe get Werner Herzog involved this time, so it would be a good movie, and then we build a spaceship, and we can find find a way to, did you ever watch that McConaughey movie, what was that called, Interstellar? Yes, many times, it's one of my wife's favorites, which should tell you enough about my wife. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I saw it with the bookshelf in that old spiel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I it was I thought it would have been much better if they had just stretched it out to a, like a half season or a season of like TV miniseries or something because there was so much packed in there. I'll tell you me. how it I could have been Hansen. better. Can I tell oh, you how it would have been better if please. they fucking changed it to Cobra Kai? Just make <laughs> everything Cobra Kai now because that is the only oh show that matters. Are you are you one of those now? That's another 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 uh, like Skype friend I've made recently is a Cobra Kai guy. And I'm just like, telling Fuck, Netflix, you. Netflix put down Karate Kid 2. Fuck fucking Netflix. Now I got a pirate and it's like, dude, Karate Kid 2 is like the least Japanese movie of any movie to ever supposedly take place in Japan. They like filmed it in Hawaii. <laughs> That's but, dirty pool. You couldn't do that now. You couldn't. You couldn't say this is. Oh boy, I bet that they would just do it like somewhere in Canada now and pretend it was uh, Japan. It's a really good, silly show. It's it's better than Tiger King in terms of pandemic programming. You know what? My uh, my number one show with a bullet right now is a Japanese show on Netflix called Midnight Diner, which is just this like. It's like a Brecht play, not a Brecht play, or more of a like a, a checkoff play about a guy that runs a diner from midnight to 7 a.m. And he doesn't really have a menu. He'll just make whatever people want as long as he can make it. Yeah. And then he like then he like gets involved in their lives. Not really getting involved in their lives, but you just see them and their lives unfold and their little stories unfold. And it's always so sad. Like home, the emotional, the emotional payload per story. You know, I'm talking unrequited love, lost family ties. Uh, there's one really intense one where this guy just all he wants to do is be a manga artist and it's like he's not having success and it's like it's literally like destroying him. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like when I when I turn on Netflix drama or comedy, there's never this level of of any kind of like statement about the human condition. It's always like a mixture of and this is something I'm kind of stealing from Champagne Sharks, but it's basically it'll kind of show you, OK, well, here's the complex stuff going on in the world, but it doesn't really take a stance on it or make a comment. OK. I definitely recommend that. But um, please send me the name of that show so that I can watch it. Yeah, because it they sounds a couple, great. 
Yeah, it's like, uh, it reminds me of like old plays. Like I was an old theater nerd back in a former life. Um, I was too. Really? Yeah, oh, awesome. I mean, I started, Tell me about that. I started in theater back in Toronto. I went to, I, I, I always wanted to be a movie star. So I started taking acting classes. I started with this place called Sears and Switzer, which was a very commercialized acting studio. And then I started studying method with this guy named Ken McGregor. And uh, he, he was uh, this hardcore, I'm friends with Harvey Keitel. He would start every class with that. And, <laughs> really? Uh, He'd start was, every class with that? Pretty much. That was pretty much wow. his ongoing mantra. Apparently, <laughs> he had screen tested for That's Reservoir Dogs five okay. or six times. Uh, and okay. uh, it, it was all you would have to cry and go to these very dark uh, places. Which is great if you can uh, wrap that around some basic knowledge of theater. But instead, what it made me do was go into every little episodic audition and try and cry when it was just like, you're here to buy a baseball bat. I need a baseball bat. It'd be that type of thing. Uh, So I did that. Then I got uh, a role in Detroit Rock City, which was the movie about Kiss. Yeah, and, uh, I was talking about that this weekend, too, because it's funny because I, I don't even like Kiss. In fact, I don't I kind of hate Kiss, but I love that movie. And I'll never forget when a friend of mine said, oh, I saw that movie and you really got to watch it, dude. And I was like, why? And she said, it's just a movie about skids. Yeah, and, uh, it's awesome. Yeah, I did that. And then I was like, oh, now I'll be a movie star because I had this little part and that'll blow me up and it didn't so then i was like i think i want to find out more and i want to be like a an actor so that's what i did for a few years and i started acting and i I was doing theater in and around toronto uh and i think i was very in the moment and very present and uh you know overly emotional at times but got good enough but then it just got to the point where uh i met jeff douglas who was a commercial actor. We had the same agent and he went, he skyrocketed to fame by doing those old commercials. My name is Joe and I am Canadian. Do you remember those? Oh my God. That's him. That that guy. Yeah. Wow. That was huge. They played that shit all the time. Huge. Uh, so him and I go, you know, we're not working enough in theater. I think he then produced his own, uh, version of Macbeth, which you shouldn't say, but you can say on a Skype call. And uh, nope, I played. Podcast is over. The Scottish play should never be mentioned. Yeah, you are uh, a theater guy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He, got, he, so, knows, he, he talks the talk, guys. <laughs> this guy. So I played Banquo slash Seton. And uh, it, the play got horrible reviews. They said the, oh. the, the murder scene looked like <laughs> well, somebody spilled too much raspberry coolie. Uh, uh, I mean, the thing is, doing a theater play is already so embarrassing. And I mean, let's talk about something in decline. I think theater's been in decline since probably like prehistory. That's, but it's been a long decline. I love the theater. Don't get me wrong. Right. I love it. But there's a great line, and I don't know if you ever saw uh, I Claudius. There's a great line where there's this guy doing like the announcements. He's a he's a centurion uh, in the great hall of Caesar, and uh, he's like, everyone shut up so this guy can perform. And turns out this guy was a former actor and they're talking about the theater and this guy's like, oh, the theater's not what it once was. And the other guy turns in and he says, theater never was what it once was. <laughs> Good line. That was quite funny. I thought it was quite funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we do, we do this play, it gets horrible reviews. You know, he wanted, he'd, he'd blown up as a commercial actor, but he's like, I'm really an actor. We got to do Macbeth. So uh, they did it. It didn't go well. And then I said, why don't we do comedy together? So, 
we came up with a few songs. He was going to play the guitar and I was going to go up and talk. And we booked a uh, spirits bar and grill, which was the best like open mic in Toronto at the time. Wasn't really an open mic. It was a bar show. And then the day of he's like, I got an audition tomorrow. I can't go. So I showed up and did stand up on my own. And that was how I jumped into stand up. I killed that night. And then uh, I how long was it? How long was it before you killed after the first time? I bombed right away the next time. And then uh, I sucked for about six years, probably. Why is it that that's always how it works? Like, I, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that you bond, that you killed the first time because you're a really funny guy. Yeah. But that's what you always hear. You know, speaking as someone that's never taken the leap and actually tried to do something as difficult as that, like, it's, I wonder why that is. I don't, I think the original set is so much energy and, uh, you know, so I, I don't know what it is, but there's then like an it's excitement like, and maybe an honesty to it. Yeah, but still you, you. you don't get really funny until you really don't care. Some people could naturally have it, but I mean, it took me. That explains why I've been so funny my whole life. I've never cared about anything. My heart is like a black pit of yeah, nothingness. It could be the point. I mean, it now is. I'm probably. I'm probably near the best I've been, but I've had I've had peaks and valleys where I've probably been a bit better. But I'm I'm 18 or 19. I'm 19 years in now, so it's really a, a long game in terms of being funny. Um, and uh, that that's how that's how it started. There was I started in theater and then I got into stand up and then the the goal was always to move to America because I was I was grooming myself to be more of an American comic. Uh, in terms of the fact that I was working uncensored, I was, you know, never a huge proponent of freedom of speech, but I really believed that I could say whatever I wanted to say as long as it was funny. And it always seemed like New York was the best place to do that. So that's, you know, from probably year six forward, my goal was to move to New York. And, 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 then, and part how, of how long? So you, you, were, you did six years in Toronto and then. Well, I did 10, 10, 10 total in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Because it took that long to get paperwork and uh, to leave the country. You know, it wasn't an easy. It's not an easy feat to prove that you're an extraordinary artist, especially when you're doing dick jokes. Uh, <laughs> it takes a long time. Yeah. No, there. Uh, if there's one thing I know about crossing the border in any in any way, shape, or form, or in any situation, uh, there's always the potential for the guards to be a dick. Metaphorically, whether it's like the immigration people themselves, I'm kind of lucky in that I have like family ties. So, um, and I mean, I, I like take a, a DVD, full DVD set of family ties with me to the border every time. I just <laughs> yeah. give that to them and wrap them with that. Um, but I'm running out. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you need to get gay married, I know, I know you're already heterosexual married, but yeah. uh, just for the for paperwork purposes, um, yeah, just give me give me what Amazon gives you uh, the cut of twenty of uh, of twenty five sets. Okay. Thirty percent. What was it like? Actually, I wanted to ask you like, what's Jeff Bezos like in real life? Not, like I assume you met. Good. After so yeah, we went. We had the meeting. Once we brought Comedy Dynamics on board, uh, they go, now you have to meet with Jeff. And I go, Ross. And they go, no, Bezos. And I go, oh okay. So a helicopter picked me up at Teterboro Airport, which is just like kind of outside New York, which is where they fly all the private jets. Takes me to this place. I meet. They go, you got to meet Jeff one before you meet Jeff two. And then <laughs> I met Jeff Epstein. So he then gets me on this plane. 
We go to this <laughs> island. I meet Jeff Bezos, I believe is how you pronounce it. Other people were pronouncing him because they were blowing him. And uh, what happened was I met him. I go, how's this deal work? He goes, well... I make a phone call saying I'm ordering pizza, at which point young children will arrive. Oh I God. will then drink no. your adrenochrome right before <laughs> you pass away, and that'll keep me young. And he goes, Q? And I go, Q what? And he goes, Anon? And I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and he goes, where we go one, we go all together, and then we'll oh be God, all no. at that one place. And yeah, I go, you know, oh, I'm, you know I'm, you talk the talk. He talks the talk, guys. Yeah. And then uh, that's it. I left, and uh, now I get a few cents mailed to me in an envelope every week. Well, that's nice. I mean, I, I think just because of this convention now, like I don't know if you know, there is there's a bit of an epic legal battle going on with Apple right now, in that a company named Epic is suing them, saying you can't just you don't have a right to 30% of everything just because you're here. Yeah. And, like that's really become the new convention. Like it's I don't know what feudalism was. Like maybe they took 40%. I'm not really Maybe. sure what a feudal lord took, but just 30% in all circumstances, and that's just universal across every platform right now. It's just because it's just the convention. Um, but fuck that shit, bro. He yeah. said, I'm on a platform actually that has that exact same policy. Shout out to Anchor. Thank you, Anchor. Um, but they don't monetize in Canada, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to go back to working on my back. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about the Amazon show, though, because I actually just finished watching it shortly before we talked, and... Uh, it was really cool. Like, I don't actually, you know, outside of like a, a few obvious exceptions, I don't really enjoy a lot of stand up comedy specials that you might just throw on. Like, after, I don't really enjoy them after the 20th minute, I find a lot of the time, you know? It's right. Like, if it's some, if it's a new comedian, I don't know. So, for the audience of four that are listening, I definitely recommend you should check it out on Amazon because, as a documentary, it's, it's, it's a whole different beast. It actually has a lot more. There's a lot of different elements in it that I think work really well together. So you shot it in 2018? 2016. 2016. That's what I thought originally. Um, and then, so you, you had, how long was the post-production process? Because, I mean, that, uh, I got a lot of questions just about that. Yeah, it took a long, I mean, it didn't come out till last year, right? Which was what, 20, or was it earlier this year? Uh, yeah, earlier, no, October 2019. Uh, yeah. We did the movie ourselves, so we shot the actual event, which was easy to shoot, and then we had to get the interviews together, and that took time, and, you know, I was throwing money at it whenever we could afford to throw money at it, myself right. and Matt O'Dowd, the director, and, uh, you know, it, it took a while, and then once we had it done, I think we only had to show it to, like, one or two people, and they're like, okay, here's someone will be interested in making this and getting it out there, so... Cool, cool. Uh, that's where yeah, I could at. see I could see it taking a long time just because of I mean it's not as though you're shooting something straightforward and simple. You I mean the editing room you probably had a lot of different there's a lot of questions about how to make it flow and and all that you know like yeah really... we had several we brought on our first editor he basically chopped up we had so much footage so he was like here's the best footage then we brought on another editor that kind of really gave it a storyline Ben DeMarco. Uh, and he really put it together and made it into something that, you know, he's like, so that people that don't know stand up will still get it. And I think that that yeah. was an important move. I think he did a great job. I mean, yeah, I think in terms of because because, you know, it's you're obviously it's a very uh, honest portrayal, I would say, um, of of the event and of you and, and the people around you. Uh, and for sure, like you would need the it's in the editing 
and putting together the, the talking heads and the interviews and stuff where uh, someone who's outside of that world can kind of understand the stakes. It's really the only way they're going to understand the stakes of trying to break that kind of record. In case anyone doesn't doesn't know by now, it's uh, Aaron did 25 sets in one night, uh, in one night in New York City to set a world record. And then if I'm not mistaken, the Guinness Book of World Records wanted eight grand for you to, to, to be officially inducted. What's that about? That's correct. Uh, they charge you to uh what kind of fucking grift is that that's a uh guinness grift the a world record holding grift uh yeah definitely made a few mistakes after a couple of guinnesses but i never paid eight grand to to be in some book that like only kids care about i mean it's a very it's a pretty juvenile thing i suppose yeah i mean we used to read it when we were kids you never read it after that yeah we I mean, my whole goal was like, I found out what Steve Byrne had done, and then I really wanted to try and beat that. And then at one point, I was like, I think I can double that. And that's how we ended up getting 25, because we had 26 scheduled. Right. Um, yeah, and you had to make up time at various points. I mean, the, the, what I what I was going to say about, about how, you know, a normal comedy special, a lot of the time, you might get bored after 20 or 30 minutes. But with this, it really built. There was really like a progression to it. And by the time you get to that middle portion, as a viewer, you're really like cheering for you. And the sets, you know, the audience is getting better and better. Um, and things are kind of starting to come into focus more and more. I mean, it's, it's much more than that about just the sets, though. Like, it's really... Um, I kept on thinking actually about Gary Shandling when I was watching it, because I thought if, if Gary Shandling was, was still around, he would have loved something like this because of the kind of how... Uh, how much you kind of put the the you know you're pretty honest you had your partner was on mic and, and that was really uh, a beautiful segment I wanted to ask you about that like it's a really it's a really uh, intimate kind of moment in the film um, was that something you thought a lot about was that something that just happened was that something you were worried about putting in there no I think it was something that just happened you talk about uh, Christine who's my wife I guess uh, yeah, I think it's something that just happened. She hates watching it because it reminds her that she used to love me more than she does now. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's um, it's the kind of thing it reminded me of just just kind of keeping the camera on the the honesty of the moment, you know, and not not and, and also not necessarily like seeking it out. Just kind of. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was quite something like I don't I, I think it would be hard for. Yeah, it's just all the other elements you put in there besides the the event itself and, and all that footage, which is great and amazing. Um, and I don't think, could you really do a movie like this uh, outside of a place like New York? You think? No, no. I, I mean, you think about it, London, maybe you could do numerous, but New York is the only place it, just because of pure volume and population. New York is the only place that you could do it and, and how tight the city is, you know, it's. It's a really small, big city. And could you could you do it in New York if you didn't have a strong connection and relationship to the city and the people in it? No, you couldn't. Yeah, um, no. and that comes is, through a lot too. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really a love letter to New York City stand up, and there hadn't been one done since Jerry Seinfeld's Comedian, which was the early two thousands. So. It's kind of a much more updated take on what the New York scene was like. And obviously, inevitably, after whatever's happening now uh, happens, there'll be the the landscape will have been changed again. So it'll be interesting to see post-COVID what it's going to be like, because I know what it's like 
during COVID, it's a lot of outdoor shows and drive-ins and um, audiences are still laughing, though. So that's a good thing. Um, you know, it, boil, it still boils down to funny is funny. But we don't know when the clubs are going to reopen here. And the, and the clubs are the lifeblood for so many people. Have you ever tried virtual reality, like uh, like the current virtual reality? I've done a couple little tapings for the purposes of that, where like people are home watching on VR. Uh, but I haven't checked it out myself. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I happen to have like a little bit of a connection to that world just by pure luck of the draw. So um, I don't know. I feel like in the interim, I feel like things will get back to some uh, sort of a new updated normal and, in, in, you know, within a couple of years. Um, but I think, you know, I think doing trying to do a comedy show in like a Zoom call is like ridiculous. But if you do it in virtual reality, and I think if you did it right and if it was if it wasn't a grift where someone was taking 30 percent of the money for no good reason. Yeah, um, because per, my personal experience with it is, is if you have someone who's in, in virtual reality and you can read their body language, you can read their eye movement, you can you can pick up cues based on how they. Uh, move the headset when they need to adjust it on their face or you know if they decide they want to look like Batman or Spider-Man at that moment um, yeah so the presence of it is interesting to me and I think I think the even though I'm a huge cynic and I would never trust uh, like a big corporation to do anything like that well I, I do trust smaller more like community driven stuff to, to do that well possibly seems interesting and it'd be great to be able to stay home and make a living well, think about this, because um, the way I'm envisioning it, it would actually have to be for a while a small show. So it would be like, who is that entertainer? He just like built a town in Brampton, Missouri or something and just had tourists come from all over the country. And he just does two shows a day. been watching a lot of Gary Shandling or uh, Larry Sanders show and he's on it. So it's on my mind. Um, uh, what was his name? He's one of the old time Hollywood guys like Pat. Rip Torn. <laughs> Rip Torn. Yeah. I keep on wondering what, what like, you know the term nominative determinism? No. It means when, like, your name predicts your uh, station or your calling in life or, you know, if your name is Butcher and you're actually a butcher. Yeah. For example, I wonder what Rip Torn means. Because Rip Torn uh, was a pretty traumatized individual but extremely talented. I hope it doesn't refer to his anus. That would be good if it yeah. didn't. Um, so are you, are you, uh, I mean, I've avoided talking about this and I want to talk more about the movie, but are just, it's popped into my head. So I'm just curious, like, are you a Leafs fan? And if you're not, feel free to hang up the call right now. Born and raised a Leafs fan. I mean, I used to go to Maple Leaf Gardens with my dad and watch the old school guys. And then, you know, uh, I went to the house of Lancaster when the Leafs had just lost to the Canucks and I was peeing next to Dave Andrichuk and uh, the translator for Nikolai Borshevsky would shove him and Borshevsky kept thinking it was me shoving him. Uh, <laughs> I, I was a hardcore Leafs fan and they continued to disappoint me. And after their last year of losing to Boston, I swore them off and I said, I'm done. And then uh, Gino Bisconti, my uh, radio slash pod partner, said, you're not next year. You'll be back. And uh, I, you know, I said, I'm done. I'm not going to be a Leafs fan. I live in uh, Queens. I'll be an Islanders fan. Uh, and the Islanders fan said, we don't want you. Fuck off. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, he this talks year, the he... talk, everybody. He talks the talk. <laughs> 
this year we, uh, you know, I watched a little bit of the round robin before they got knocked out. And, uh, you know, there's a team there. But it's always disappointing because they don't do what they have to do to win. And it's so disappointing because they have so much money and they could do it. Well, speaking as an Oilers fan, you know, uh, who I think had the worst record in all professional sports from 2010 to 2020. um, I don't know. When I ponder it, it makes me wonder if there's probably a reason why con people only show up two thirds of the year and then take some time off. You know, like when they come, when they show up. They put the screws to you. They, they squeeze you for everything you're worth and leave you shattered and broken. All you got to do is give people like three months off. And apparently, apparently human nature will just bring them right back. You know, it's sad. It's a sad state of affairs <laughs> because they should win. They well, deserve they have so many good players. sometimes to win and they just can't do it. And it breaks my heart. Well, I wonder if like the, it's like Canada is like the nervous mother writ large at the hockey game for all Canadian teams. And I'm really starting to wonder if just there's like a socio-cultural energy where just it's making everyone so frantic and nervous and over-anxious that that's why a Canadian team hasn't won, won it all in like, what, 30 years now? What was it, 91? Yeah, but know. maybe like the Raptors winning will give other Canadian teams the strength to do so. That would be okay. I mean, no, it would it would be nice for yet again some white people to ride in the coattails of uh, more talented and handsome and, and richer blacks. I like it. I like it a lot. Is that when really, else did that happen? Um, oh, I can't think of a time. Um, well, there was one time I was lining up for ice cream, yes, uh, but uh, yes, but I can't go, I can't good. I can't go into that. The the corporate lawyers told me that I can't comment on that. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to call this episode uh, "Living Large," by the way, with uh, with Aaron Berg, and I'm going to cut out uh, Leon when he's uh, when he's uh, in uh, the apartment in New York City. <laughs> you got damn right. I'm living large. <laughs> I just had a croissant filled with motherfucking champagne. <laughs> and that's what nice. I feel like I'm doing right now. This is my <laughs> this is my drinking champagne out of a croissant. That's um, awesome. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I'm not surprised it took so long to edit the movie. Um, like, do you? But you. I hope it's pretty successful. I think it's really, really well done. Like, but they don't tell you, they take 30% and don't even tell you how much people are really seeing it. Right. Or is Amazon more open about that? I don't know. I highly doubt it. I don't know what the exact, I don't know. I have our exact deal somewhere. I'm sure I could find it if I had to, but I don't know what it is, but I know I'm not rich from it. Uh, but the movie did, uh, very well. And, uh, you know, the feedback has been great. Most people that watch it really dig it. So that makes me happy. Yeah, man. Um, I'm curious. So, just on in terms of comedy, um, it's an, I think I think you're a good person to ask this question uh, because a lot of your stuff is really edgy and uh, and pretty pretty brave, I would say. Um, and I think it's really it's really requisite for that to work for for you to you to really exude a strong vibe of 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 being you know a good guy and you and you mean it in good fun and it's good natured. Because as soon as anyone thought it wasn't good natured, I think, especially in the current climate where people are so quick to pull their dicks out, um, you know, you get you get you get uh, like horror, get uh, swarmed or whatever. So it's really interesting to me how well you, how well you kind of like for you is it about understanding the people you're talking about or appreciating them or including them, or is it just is it just literally what's popping in your head at that moment and you want to be funny and 
by that nature of being open in that moment, they're able to, you know, you're, you're bridging that possible divide. The second one you said. Second one? I think that was 425 words. We'll have to go back to the transcript. Um, yes. It's about being in the moment. I have no idea what I'm going to say at any point. I just want to be funny and I want people to be entertained. Uh, and in doing so, they, they all come together. Um, so the audience is a very integral part of the show, even if I'm just doing material because they're the secondary part of the dialogue. Uh, and that involves everything, not just their laughter, but their responses, their facial reactions, what their actual reaction is, uh, their emotional response. So I'm reading all that while I'm in the moment. And at the same time, I'm also on my heels knowing that I need to have a, another laugh in three or four seconds. So that's how quick my brain works on stage is just to get those laughs in the most uh, original but simultaneously universal way at the same mm. time. Mm. Um, it made me think of I never actually saw the, the Todd Berry uh, thing he did where he just did a whole entire tour of crowd work. I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, or seen it. Yeah, I watched um, a little bit. I didn't see the I, whole thing, and I, I know I bet, I, I bet you would funny. be really good at that. I bet you could. I bet you could do that well because your ability to guess things about people is really uncanny. Um, like even on that level, but also an ability to, yeah. I mean, and, and I think someone in the movie talks about it. Just kind of make everyone in the room feel included, and, and you yourself say, you know, I'm not. I, I'm leaving everyone. No one. No one leaves unscathed. But uh, I mean, so few comics are doing that. Like I don't know if I've seen a comic do that. I mean, not that I've ever been to a comedy show or know anything about it, but it's uh, it's almost like like and, and doing the 25 sets in one night, even though they were each short, it's like you're loading into the Matrix 25 times. These are 25 different groups of people, 25 different situations, 25 different spots in the world. Um, like, were you like what what was it like when you got near the end? Like, the, the, what what was were you like a runner who was starting to like see visions or go blind or? I was exhausted. My brain wasn't working anymore. And I would just pick out the first thing that I saw. So I would be like, your shirt is black. Uh, and that had, my comedy had regressed to that. But I, you know, I tried to keep the endurance going and stay funny throughout. But it, it got exhausting. But it was still, you know, the last shows weren't the best shows, but they also weren't total bombs. So it was uh, I got out. I got out lucky. It was quite an accomplishment and uh, and pretty cool to do. Um, I thought it was also nice how it kind of worked out that none of the MCs uh, even brought up the, the the fact that you were doing all those sets in one day and going for a kind of record. Um, because I think, and obviously you weren't pushing that line yourself, obviously, that happened organically. Um, but I think a different person, a less self-aware person, a less kind person or a less person, someone with more ego would have said, okay, well, I'm actually going to put that out front and it's like, okay, we'll tell everyone from the first set that I'm going for a world record and trying to build around that. Because it's it's funny, you you're not you don't have a lot of ego in your comedy, even though you have now the record, the world's record for the most number of comic sets done in a night, which will probably stand for quite some time. Yeah. Um, you, you start to put ego aside because, you know, it doesn't really help you be funnier. And my goal is always to be funnier. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
That's why so many right wing com so much right wing comedy isn't uh, isn't that funny in my view. Although there's a lot of not funny people out there, myself included. Um, I don't know how much time you have, Aaron. I know you've done this is the second podcast you've done today. I could keep you on mic all night. Um, but I am very exhausted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have we should, a we should, Let's engage the wind down procedure. We use um, I don't know if you're a Star Trek guy, but we use a little bit of nerd uh, sound effects. So uh, Captain, can we engage the wind down procedure, please? Okay, thank you. Um, all right, our opening song today was uh, Harry Hasono and Friends, Nostalgia Island, from one of my all-time favorite albums, Pacific. Uh, and we'll, our outro will be from the same album, the uncomparable Cosmic Surfing. It's been so great talking to you, Aaron. Um, I'll have to send you a picture. We've never sent any pictures to any of our guests. I don't think anyone knows what we look like. We do this anonymously which has really, really helped us in growing it from nothing, let me tell you. Not even being yeah. able to tell your Facebook friends. Really, really great <laughs> when you're starting from zero views. But uh, I think we've grown to 12 uh, listeners now, and uh, I'm sure they really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, we're just really grateful you had the time and hope we can talk again sometime. It was absolutely a pleasure, and I'm not even kidding. You are, you're brilliant, and you have a huge future ahead of you. Uh, don't say that, bro. You're brilliant. You're a genius. Just keep on doing what you're doing, and I'm looking forward to seeing more, okay? Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right.